All right. Hope you're having a good summer. I got to do some fishing a week ago at my grandpa's, so some deep breaths, right? That's what the summer's for. Our scripture today, I think, uh, is Dan around? Yeah, why don't you come on up to read that for us? And uh, Dan is one of our six elders. Uh, Again, if you haven't talked to him or met him, he's going to be here after church, ready to say hi. So that's kind of our theme this summer of get to know your elders. So Dan, would you bring our scripture today? That's a good point. Uh, Let's go with... uh, Yeah, I mean, I, do, we, do we want to try one? Otherwise, I can just hand you this. Brad told me that was hard last Let's week. go with that. Let's go with that. All right, uh, the parable of the, this is Luke chapter 19, 11 through 27. The parable of the ten minas. Um, uh, a mina is roughly three months of wages is when I looked that up. Uh, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called the ten servants, so he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in? and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they already have 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Thank you, Dan. Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you for this chance to look into your word. I pray that you use it. Lord, encourage your people in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, today's title is Well Done, and I went with a picture of a thumbs up. Who doesn't, who doesn't mind getting a thumbs up every once in a while, right? Encouraging. I know when I was 
back playing sports, often my dad would get to my ball games. I know a lot of you go to ball games for your kids and grandkids, especially over the summer, okay? You're there in the crowd, and every once in a while, do you ever notice if your kid looks over at you? Maybe they're just noticing to see that you arrived or you're there, or maybe they just struck out, and they look over at their shoulder to think, what does mom or dad think about that, right? And I remember a lot of times when I was playing ball, especially when the going was getting tough, I'd look over and my dad would give me a thumbs up and give me a real intense look. <laughs> and it didn't, mean, it didn't mean you scored 30 points in the game today, Rob, okay? <laughs> I might have just fouled out. I might have just missed every shot of the game. And I'm looking like at the bleachers and I get one of these. What that means is keep going, right? Be faithful. Give it your all. And as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, it says that he tells this story. And in a way, he's telling his disciples, you know what? Things are about to get tough. Things are about to go in a way that you don't expect. I mean, the next chapter, they enter the temple of Jerusalem and the Holy Week, when it's packed, I mean, everyone's thinking, this is the time for the kingdom to come. Jesus is going to take his rightful place as king. Rome is going to get kicked out of here. Okay, the hammer's going to drop. And yet Jesus is telling them this story to say, you know what? Things are actually going to get tough. But keep going. Keep going. And so, in our first scripture today, it says that he told him a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. They had reason to believe that it was going to start right away. And yet, as we looked at last week a little bit, about a widow who keeps asking the king for justice and has to wait for it, we looked at that actually two weeks ago. It's out of God's mercy that Jesus, instead of going to the temple and taking his rightful spot as king right away, it's out of his mercy that instead he went to the cross and he died and rose again and now waits, still waiting so that all would come to repentance. It's out of mercy that this king is waiting to return. I'm glad that he waited for me. Are you glad he waited for you? Amen. And in that waiting now is the opportunity as his followers to follow the way of Jesus and be faithful in what He has called us to. Every single person here is called to be faithful to something. That's why you've got breath in your lungs from your Creator. You're called to be faithful to something. I talked to one gentleman yesterday and he said, you know, I'm retired, I'm disabled, and I'm available. If you, want to, if you ever want to call me for encouragement, here's my number. And he said it to a group of guys. So that's wonderful. 
faithfulness with what God has given you. He's not in the spotlight. He's available to be faithful. So here's the story. There's a nobleman. And in the Greek, this word nobleman is a good and a becoming person. And a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. This was actually customary. This happened to most of the Herods in the Bible. In Jesus' time, there's a couple different Herods. They were king over Judea and Israel. And when it was time for them to take the throne, they would go off to Rome. Caesar would appoint them the kingship and then they would return. Now, a current event of this day, this happened when Jesus was a young man and a story that a lot of these Jews would resonate with was after Herod the Great, Herod Archelaus was presumed to take the throne and so he went to Rome. However, the people in Israel did not like this man. They hated him. They thought he was cruel. And so they sent a delegation after to appeal in front of the emperor to say, don't put this guy in charge, all right? Don't put him in charge. Now what happened was the emperor did put him in charge. How do you think Archelaus felt about that when he returned? Uh Uh-oh, right? Those that went and sought to impeach him did not think that he would reign, did not think that he would return. And they're missing out on the reward. Instead, they're getting revenge. And revenge he did. Archelaus brought some revenge. And his reign didn't last long. There was turmoil in the land, and the emperor finally consolidated some more power to Rome after that. But uh, Matthew chapter 2 mentions Archelaus by name and says that it's because Archelaus was ruling Judea that Joseph and his family brought Jesus to Galilee. Basically, don't, don't be under the reign of this guy. He's a bad dude. And so that's why they went to a separate place. So the, there's this idea here in the following verses of 13 and 14, I believe, where they, they do this in the story. They try and impeach this king who is about to reign. Now we'll go to the next slide, please. In verse 15, he does in fact get crowned king. He returned and he called in the servants to whom he had given some money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. So before he left, he picked ten servants. He gave them each a pound of silver and he said, invest this. And when he returns, he says, what are your profits? Those words invest and profit It's where we get the word pragmatism. It means pragmatically and practically, what did you do with it? What did you do with it? They were were given generous time and resources to do something. This king didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give them the pound of silver with its privileges and with its responsibilities, but he did, and they accepted. He left, and he's about to return. So what happens with these guys? Well, let's go to the good reports. He returns. And to the first two, he says, well done. Good job. Thumbs up. You are a good servant. 
You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will now be governor of ten cities as your reward. So he says this to the first man. The first man had done ten times. He, he says that his pound of silver turned into ten pounds of silver. He did ten times production. Okay? And, and the king says, good job. The second one says, I, I got five pounds of silver. I, I did five times the production. And in the Greek, it just says that the king said the same thing to the second one as the first one. He got the same compliment. Good job. I love that. One guy outproduced the other one twice as much, but they both were judged by the king with a good job. A lot of times we look around us and say, man, that guy's producing twice as much as me, right? That guy can do that twice as fast. What you do in being faithful, it's, it's seen in your actions, but this king is not about just the numbers. I hope you can see that. What's more important to him is what they're doing in relationship to him. I like to hear the Greek of the little I entrusted to you. In the Greek, it's the smallest of things. The smallest of things you are faithful. I think we could spend the rest of the morning thinking about what are the smallest of things in our lives. I know as men, sometimes we think, we want to think of the big job, the paid occupational work. Whoa, what is faithfulness in the smallest of things entrusted to us? Our affections, our families, the things that God looks at, not necessarily things that the world judges us by. Those are the smallest of things. And notice here at the end, there's a reward. When this reigning king returns, there's a reward for these guys. Given ten cities, the first, five cities for the second. There's generosity at the return of the king to this faithfulness. Now here's the bad report. There's a third servant. And he gives a very long explanation in the Greek. It's very long. The first two, very short. Just says your, your ten minas produced, or your one mina produced ten more. Very short. This one, he starts with the word adu, which is behold, look, I bring you your one bag of silver. <laughs> Wrapped in a cloth. The Greek word is a handkerchief. I just can't, for whatever reason, I get in the image of my head like a kid going to show and tell at school, saying, here is a snotty Kleenex. Behold, my most prized possession. So the hearers of this, as they follow the story, it's clipping along, it's clipping along. All of a sudden it slows down for this, behold, my one bag of silver and a snotty Kleenex. 
I don't know. I don't know if that's sarcasm or not, but it just struck me. This is all of a sudden, this is changing the tune, okay? <laughs> and when he, when he said, behold, I think people were expecting, oh, this is going to be good. Okay? Or at least, come on, ten times as much, five times as much. Maybe it's going to be twice as much. But he says, nothing. Nothing. I didn't do anything with it. Okay, now, now that people listen to the story, okay, why? What's his reasoning for that? He says, well, he goes, I was afraid of you. Because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what is not yours and harvesting crops you did not plant. Whoa, okay, not only did he do nothing with it, there's a little bit of insult in that. Now, I wrestled with, is this report true or not in the parable? A parable usually is one main point. And in this parable, it's this man should have been faithful. Okay? Regardless of this king was good or not, he should have been faithful. And in the response, the king doesn't say yes or no, whether he's a hard man or not. He just says, even by your own logic, you still should have done something with it. Okay? It still doesn't even make sense. Puts it in the category of an excuse here, really. Also, I think about, this guy was driven by fear. Compared to the first two, in a parallel story of this in Matthew 25, after saying, well done, Jesus says, enter the joy of your master. There's joy in that experience, in that expression of their faith to faithfulness. There's joy. I know many times in my life I have to check, okay, am I doing this out of joy or am I doing this out of fear? And I propose to you that to follow Christ, it requires joy. Remember, joy is fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace. If you're not living that out, are you really being faithful to what God has called you to? Also what this guy says, he says that he claims this stuff isn't yours. You're taking what's not yours. It reminds me at the beginning that delegation that says we don't want this man to reign over us and be our king. It doesn't belong to him. I think he's incorrect. I think it does. I mean, the whole kingdom belongs to this guy. He's the king. Much like Jesus Christ has all supremacy over his creation. He was there at the beginning. Colossians 1 says that from him and through him and to him are all things. Jesus makes the comment, what have you received that you have not been given? And yet our culture, our world, our fleshly desire screams, we don't want this man to reign over us. Screams, let's impeach him. He's taken what is not ours. If you think from the perspective of an enemy of God, I can understand why an enemy of God would say, back off. <laughs> this is my little circle. Right? 
I can see why the enemy of God would say, would view God as getting in the way of his plans. He didn't appear like that to the first two. They saw God differently, and as a result, they lived out differently, and they experienced incredible generosity. But to this one, the king says, you wicked servant, you wicked servant. And in following at the close of the chapter, he says, as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, who do not want them, me to be king, bring them in and execute them right in front of me. Wow. The Greek says, to bring them into my presence, the presence of God. For some, that is a delight. For some, standing before Almighty God at the end of all days is a joyful expectation. For others, it is dreadful. And yet, I think far too often we scream what these enemies do. We don't want you to reign over that part of my life, God. Or we doubt it. Go to this last slide. We don't want to be reigned over for some reason. Uh, You can back up, sorry, to Romans. Thank you. We don't want to be reigned over for some reason. We think we're fine just by ourselves. But let me tell you, when we look out at the world, we are not fine just by ourselves. Romans illustrates that, that in Romans chapter 5, that death reigns since the time of Adam. Our culture, our world has no reasoning, no hope, no answer to death. It's outsourced to nursing homes and hospitals. We don't want to think about it. There's no answer for the atheist in death. To me, that's not a very good worldview to say that this is all just an accident and whatever you want to make of it. There's no answer in that. And sin, sin reigns over us. You can see that. As each person goes their own way, does what is right in their own eyes, how's that going for us? How's that going for us? Tolerant of everything except what God instructs us is good. How is that going for us? I tell you, every generation that goes by, every worldview that gets established, there's still wars. The turn to modernity, we just got better at killing each other. And that's what happened in World War I and World War II. All right? The problem is that sin is reigning and leading us into evil desires. Don't draw that circle around yourself and say, God, I don't want you to reign. (laughs) 
His reign brings peace. And so in that verse in Matthew, as we go there next, Jesus bridges the gap. He pays the penalty for sin and death on the cross in His mercy. He raises again to life to bring a new reign that we can experience in our lives, both now and forever. And he says this. He says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, let let me reign over you. He goes, let me teach you. Because I'm humble and I am gentle at heart. You will find rest for your soul. Isn't that wonderful? He says, for my yoke, in other words, for my reign, it's easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. He has called us to be faithful. And he says that it's not out of your reach to bear it. It's actually a good life. I know many people in this church who have been living this out for many years. Twice or maybe even three times longer than I've been alive. You have been living this out. And I can see in you, it's a good life. There's rest for the soul. There's contentment in your heart. I take note of that. It proves the Scriptures that His reign is good. That the burden is light. 1 John mentions that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. They're in fact good. They bring life. What brings the most life? Where it all starts. Is that Jesus went to the cross to bridge that gap. The start of his reign. It started in creation. It never stopped. But the start of his redemption, the climax of his redemption at the cross, he made it possible for us to live a different way. Give us new hearts. To give us his spirit of victory to walk in. So now in this last slide. I believe that being faithful, it requires faith. These first two guys, they believed that this king was going to reign. They believed that he was going to return. They believed that he would bring a reward. A lot of which that last servant did not. And as we consider the fact that Christ is coming again, that we will either meet him in judgment or he will bring judgment down here on earth, depending if he comes before we go. (laughs) Either way, we're going to meet him. And to truly live a faithful life, I believe we need to keep those three things in mind. That he does reign. That he will return. And he will bring a reward. If you truly believe that, deep in your soul, deep in your gut, I think faithfulness will follow. For view of God is what Matthew mentioned there. I believe we'd want to follow that. So what are the smallest of things to be faithful in 
this week. You might not be put into the newspaper. It might, be, not, might not be put on ESPN. But God is watching, asking you to have faith in Him and to be faithful. What has He called you to? Even if you think it's small, a big God decided that that was worth doing and to be done by you. So you can remember, remember that next time there's a diaper. <laughs> you don't want to do. You can remember that next time. You've got to call the 1-800 number that you don't want to call. Okay? The next time that life brings suffering, you don't want to bear. A big God called you to that. And you might say, is it really going to be that productive? Is it really 10 pounds of silver? It doesn't matter. What matters is that you put your faith in God and that you do something with it while we wait for His return. Let's pray. Lord, we need Your reign in Your life. You are a good King. And I am so excited as I read my Bible and I read the last three or four chapters. When heaven comes to earth and your kingdom comes at last in its fullness. I'm so excited for that. I'm so thankful for that. Lord, we as a church family, we believe, Jesus, that you are king and that you reign. We believe that you will return again. We believe that you will bring a reward. So Lord, help us to be faithful servants that we might hear the words, well done from our Heavenly Father. And I praise you, God, that through your Son in whom you are well pleased, whom you gave the ultimate thumbs up towards, died on the cross for our sins that we might be found in him. And it is through Jesus that we get the ultimate well done. Enter into the joy of your master. Encourage hearts today with these words. Lord, strengthen feeble hands. As 1 Thessalonians mentions, and also warn the idol, Lord, that you are coming. Help us to be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll see you next week in Jerusalem at the temple. Have a great day.